Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. What's going on? Hey, look at that. There's graffiti. Oh, that. All right. Never mind. Uh, the graffiti on the music stand is making me sad. Uh, if you are new here, and if you're not, my identity is not conditional. Um, either way, whether or not you're new here, my name is Steve. Um, and, right? Uh, I don't know. It just seems weird. If you're new here, my name is Steve. If you're not, I'm Joe. Um, <laughs> I'm one of the elders at the church, uh, it, yeah, in addition to probably being older than you, it just is effectively like the board of directors, like people who think and care deeply about our community and where it's going. I'm also on the teaching team, which means like every three months or so, I stand up here and then like 90% of those times I will randomly cry. Um, so like uh, last time this happened and like I started like getting choked up and people were laughing and the new people were like, oh my God, like uh, these people are horrible. Um, they're mocking this poor man. Uh, it's mostly just that I'm a train wreck. And so if that happens uh, and people like chuckle a little bit, now you're in on the joke. Uh, is that good? Is that okay? Everyone, new faces, I get it. All right, thumbs up from the back row. I, I enjoy that. Um, so we are winding down a series called For the Sake of the World, which is uh, born out of our vision for this, this whole year, which is from the throne flows a river of renewal. And the idea here is that um, we've been kind of building some big concepts over the course of the last couple years, pursuing intimacy with God and then acknowledging him as king, recognizing that kind of faith in this modern context looks like allegiance to a different authority than kind of what we're used to. Um, either, you know, our nation or ourselves, honestly. And then once we've established that Christ is that king and, and should be sitting on that throne, um, then what flows out of that is not necessarily like obligation or um, some sort of set of rules, but actually life-giving renewal um, for us as individuals, for our church as a community, and for the people around us. So this series specifically, for the sake of the world, is asking that question, can the beauty of the gospel still save the world? Could it ever, I guess, but can it today? Um, and yes is the answer. And so we've been exploring different ways in which that is hopefully the answer for us and, and how to go about doing that. So a lot of what we've been looking at is in the book of Acts. I don't, that wasn't like sent down by fiat, but the book of Acts really studies what happened um, at the end of Jesus' ministry when they kind of turned over the keys to, to people. Um, the church was being formed and the apostles uh, who were formerly disciples are now going about and kind of doing their thing. And so we're getting our first look at what happens when God, who has said, all right, you guys handle this from here on out with the power of my spirit, what did they end up doing? And so we're going to look at Acts 10 today. Um, I, the only thing I'm really going to ask of you um, that maybe you normally wouldn't do is to try and like tune in to longer sections of text. Uh, normally I would just keep it really short uh, and then hope that like the song and dance keeps you pulled in. But there's just less of that this time around. I'll still probably say something off the cuff that like uh, is dumb, which is fine. But like a couple long ch chunks of text, and I'm just going to ask you to like hone in uh, on them because I couldn't think of another way to, to get 
to where I, I hope we need to go. Okay, cool. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read a lot of Acts 10. In fact, all of it. Um, okay, here we go. Um, Lord Jesus, thanks that you have been moving and working in this community since its inception um, and in your church since the beginning. We acknowledge that's not because you just love to have power over people, but it's because you love people. And because you made us, and because you know us, you know what we need to be whole, to heal. Let us experience and hear your truth today, God. Let it make a difference in our lives and the lives of the city and those around us. Amen. That was close. That was really close. I think it probably counted, but we're okay. All right. So we got the book of Acts happening. We're going to read chapter 10, which is about Cornelius and Peter, primarily. Um, my, my middle son, his name is Clement Cornelius, was on the list, but we didn't go with it. Um, I knew a Cornelius in high school. Everyone called him Cornball, and I was like, I don't want that for you, my son. Uh, so here we go. I'm just going to read uh, for a little bit, and then we'll stop and talk about it. So here's my, here's my plan, and this is just like, a, this is free, right? If you want to study the Bible, there's a lot of ways to do it. One way is to kind of read it and, and just be like, what is this saying, actually? What does it say? Um, then you can ask, what does it mean? Um, and then last, you could say, well, what does that mean for me? Because I am not a first century Palestinian Jew. Um, and so we do the work of observing, we do the work of interpretation, we do the work of applying with kind of that little framework. So that's what we're going to do today. So we're just going to read it, see what it says, ask some questions, see what it means, and then hopefully get to a place where we understand what it means for us now today. Good. All right, here we go. At Caesarea, I think it's on the screen, or your phone, or whatever, or you can just listen. Again, this is the part where you like tune in a little extra. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came up to him and said, Cornelius, his name is Pat, not Cornelius, but I did it for effect. Um, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Part one, Cornelius. We'll unpack in a minute. That's going on. Now we get to Peter. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, that's the people that Cornelius sent, his, his entourage, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, 
Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Peter was still thinking about the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Peter invited the men in to be his guest. The next day, they started out with some believers, and the following day, they arrived in Caesarea. Boom, that's part one. A lot, not terrible. We've got Cornelius, we got Peter. Let's talk a little bit about these two guys and get some, some extra context, and then we'll finish out because you know what's happening. Rising action. Uh, there's some un unanswered questions, and we'll get to them. So what I, what I really just want you to take away from Cornelius is that he's a God-fearing man, and that needs a little uh, extra flavor because I think we could think like, oh, that's our today's version of like, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious, right? Like that happens all the time where people are like, oh, I'm a good, you know, uh, I, I have my own kind of sense of how I deal with God and like, that's fine. That's not what this is. So uh, Cornelius and his soldiers, part of the Italian regiment, are living in the promised land. They are living in uh, Judea. They're close to Jerusalem, about 30, 40 miles away. And so there are a lot of people at this time who are God-fearers, which means that they kind of buy the idea of Yahweh, the Hebrew God. They're kind of like, that makes sense. But they're like, I would love to not be circumcised, so I'm not going to convert all the way. Um, so I'll just kind of live in this place where like, I like it, but I haven't like fully gotten into all the ceremonial requirements. Like I'm still a Gentile, but I believe that there's something here. And so the description of his activities, if you notice, there was a lot of things like where they were saying the specific hour of the day. Like um, sometimes that's just Luke being Luke, you know, he likes to be real specific. Um, but there's some clues in there. Uh, so one of the things is that Cornelius was praying in the middle of the day. So it's uh, standard to kind of pray in the morning, pray in the evening. And Cornelius is having an extra dose of prayer because we're to infer that he really is after the Lord. Like, he really does want to encounter God. He's spending extra time in prayer. Separately, he's got this alms or these offerings to the poor. And these are emphasized separately. So what's happening is this messenger from God is saying, you spent your time in prayer, and it's impacting your life. You, you have seen kind of what God is about, and one of the things he cares about is that you care for the least of these. Um, this most likely, this giving to the poor, is specifically the poor Jews, um, the poor among Israel who need assistance. So uh, Cornelius is this guy who is basically doing everything he can. As far as he knows, other than like officially getting circumcised, he's doing everything he can with the revealed knowledge about who God is, to, to know him more and to conform his life to what God should do. And so when this messenger comes, he's ready immediately. I think it's super cool that he doesn't keep it a secret. He finds his, his people and he's like, hey, I just had this vision. Like, 
I know more common in the ancient world, but he could have easily just said, he's a man of authority, like, go find this guy, bring him back. Instead, he gives them the whole scoop, um, doesn't hold back. And also, interestingly, one of his soldiers is a devout man. Again, this, this is a person of influence, and so it seems like already he's been using some of his influence to either find people who are believers, or he has, not believers, but God-fearers, or he has convinced them that this is, in fact, the way. So, that's Cornelius. He's our centurion, bit of a hero. We like him. We don't know anything bad about him. He's giving to the poor. Um, now we've got Peter. We all know about Peter, right? One of the original disciples, one of the closest ones to Jesus, along with James and John. A uh, bit of a hothead. I think we had, you know, that Peter versus John uh, image a couple months back where, you know, Peter's crazy and John's like, oh, hold on. Um, he's, he's got a lot of history. And again, here he is, kind of devoutly seeking the Lord in the middle of the day. Um, he falls into a trance, and we've got, you know, the weird... Have you guys ever been to, like, one of those tourist towns where they have jerky stores? And they're like, hey, we've got the normal stuff, but come in the back. And we've got, like, kangaroo jerky and, like, rare animals, like penguin jerky. And you're like, uh, I don't know what's happening. Um, and you always kind of want to have it, and then you imagine, like, the sad baby animal. Just me? No, Okay. <laughs> They have one in St. Augustine for sure because I've been to it. Um, so if you want to like get, go down that road, uh, feel free to. The Lord says it's fine, apparently, according to Acts 10. That's your takeaway. Um, but so here's all these animals. And like Peter, I think, I think he probably thinks it's like the Lord tempting him. And he's like pretty proud. Like, no, actually, I haven't ever violated the dietary laws. Like, I've been true to you. Um, because it seems, you know, it's reminiscent. He knows Jesus was tempted in the desert. And... Uh, he was like, no, no, I'm good, actually. Leave this sheet, this four-cornered sheet of weird beasts, uh, and I'll stick to the kosher stuff. Thank you. And then it happens two more times, like boom, boom. And, uh, of course, like Peter has a history with things happening three times, uh, with denial, but also his reinstitution by Jesus, right? Like, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So, like, something happening three times, Peter's like, boo, like his... his Peter senses, spider senses, hey, Peter Parker, I got it. Uh, this is happening in real time, folks, um, <laughs> are going off, and it, it's, it's meaningful to him. And, and what's going on here is that, like, remember Mark 7, Jesus said, it's not what comes into your mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of you, because what comes out of your mouth is coming from the overflow of your heart. Uh, and then, like, parenthetically, Mark is like, in saying this, Jesus made all food clean. Um, so they, they weren't necessarily reading the Gospels, but they knew that Jesus had different thoughts. Um, what's going on here is, this, uh, if you want a fancy word, a different dispensation. Uh, a less fancy word, different covenant, uh, even less fancy. Um, God is allowed to make some rules. Uh, some stuff is by nature of his character, so right and wrong. He does not actually determine like, oh, just capriciously, this is bad and this is good. Um, his character is good, so everything that flows out of him is good. But then there's some other things where God has a specific design for something for a time in history, and so he tells people to act in a certain way, um, and that's what's going on with these, these rules and these laws around, around food. So when Jesus kind of fulfills the law, there's an element of that that just dissipates. We can talk about you know, all that stuff later, but what you need to know for Peter's sake is that he is on high alert um, because this vision and his past, 
And it seems right away he's aware that he's willing to obey, even though if he's not sure what's about to happen. Um, centurion, you know, these Gentiles coming to his home would have been extremely unusual. Instead of sending them to an inn, instead of doing anything, he brings them in as guests, and then they get to go. All right, Cornelius, Peter, background, good. Big ass number two, text chunk number two. And then uh, we'll see if we can ask some questions of this text and, and get somewhere meaningful. I hope that we can. I think that we can. I'm excited. Okay. You guys excited? How are you doing, Pat? That's good. Oh, you don't have to. No, 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 no. None of that. Um, I mean, you can, but like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not fishing for clapping or whatever. All right, here we go. All right. Um, so they're walking. We got our guys. Uh, we got our six, you know, it turns out there's six guys who are coming with Peter from Joppa up to Caesarea, about 30 miles, so day and a half. Here we go. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you've sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me, said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's in the guest, and blah, 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 like just repeating everything. So I sent, you came. Now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify. He is the one whom God appointed as the judge of living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Amen. So this, there's so much cool stuff in there. And like, honestly, you could just, you could study this all week. And I hope that you do. Um, I just want to ask two questions. And we're going to have two little takeaways. And then uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be done. And uh, the Lord will have, will have done something cool. The first thing that I think is weird. Do you guys ever watch a movie where like the entire plot could be undone if a character had just done the reasonable thing that a normal human would do? Like, uh, 
like home alone, like Kevin McAllister, just go across the street to a neighbor's house and be like, uh, I'm alone. Like, okay, movie over. Um, like Titanic, like Rose, like in the middle of the 1960s, she's definitely selling the heart of the sea. Like she's not keeping it in her pocket forever. Sorry, spoiler alert if you didn't see that one. There's just so many times like when, when like it's just very obvious like how, how to fix the problem and for the sake of the movie. I think it's called a MacGuffin, right? Like where you have a plot device that's just the point of the movie is the plot device. Anyways, um, my first question is like, all right, God, you've got a shining angel in front of Cornelius and he's listening, and he's ready to hear, so why not just be like, tell the whole thing? Like, why do you have to organize this gigantic meeting between him and Peter and pull all these levers? Um, wouldn't it have been easier if you're just like, uh, Cornelius, thank you. Your prayers have come up. Uh, by the way, all the stuff you've heard about Jesus, it's true. Um, like, way easier, right? We, we get one less chapter of the Bible. Actually, two. If you read Acts 11, it's just Acts 10 and Peter trying to convince other people that it happened. So um, we, we'd skip two chapters of the Bible. Maybe we'd get other stuff that we wouldn't have. Maybe that would be neater. Anyways, why? Why not just do that thing? Um, and I think to answer that question, we have to go to the content of Peter's message and say, what is so different about what Peter had to say? And it's because it's about Jesus. It's because we don't see God using supernatural methodology, supernatural messaging to convince people because it's too overwhelming. Um, that's at least part of the reason, right? The descriptions of angels, everyone's tempted to worship them. Everyone's freaked out. Um, God, there's a, there's a principle called divine hiddenness where God keeps himself slightly cloaked. If you read the Gospels and you see Jesus talking in parables and you ask, why is that? It's not actually so that people can understand it easier. If you read the scriptures, it's so that people would not understand what Jesus was saying unless they dug in. Interesting. So what's going on here is that God doesn't want to use an angel to share about Jesus. God uses people every time. Like with Paul, even, in his dramatic conversion on the road, um, he gets knocked off his horse, he goes blind, or his donkey, I don't remember, some sort of animal. Could have been even a weirder animal, I don't remember, I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's not until Ananias comes and prays for him that he receives his sight and, and accepts the Lord. We got Acts 4, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, God uses a person, and here he uses a person. Um, God uses people to share the good news. Um, so what's going on here with Cornelius is he's preparing the way, he's sowing you know, the seed and he's tilling the soil, but he wants a person to harvest, and that person is Peter. The nature of the message is also very interesting to me. We've got what is basically like a perfect human, at least according to the text. Um, Cornelius has heard about God. He's become convinced he spends his days seeking God's face, trying to understand God's character. And he's at least somewhat successful because he changes his life around to give his money to the poor, to become a person who is well-regarded, who is well-respected by the Jews, who's known as a devout man. So he's, he's seen the Lord He's pursued him intimately, and that intimacy is changing his life. Like, isn't that what we would draw up if we were writing the script for the people in our community? And yet, it's not enough. 
it's so not enough that God is like, I really like you. You've got to get to the actual point here. I'm going to arrange a double miraculous meeting so that you can hear what you need to hear because you don't have the whole thing. Well, what's the story that he gets when at the end of these two and a half days of desert wandering, the story that he gets is Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is the one who can forgive your sins. He is the one through whom you have unfettered and unmitigated access to the throne room of heaven because that, that veil that you know about has been torn in half. Um, the, the religious trappings, all of that stuff, gone because Jesus has paved the way. And they hinge that message on some very specific stuff. Now, I think the church has gotten off. If, you, if you're like within plus or minus 10 years of me, there's two things that we've done a lot of that are probably kind of annoying. They're maybe not evil, but they at least feel slimy. One is this model of like bring in the superstar sucks, right? Like it, it, it doesn't like, it's not evil. Again, I got saved in, in that manner. Like I went to some conference, someone got on stage and they were like, blah, 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 gospel. And the, the Holy Spirit was kind enough to move in my heart in a real way when I was 13 years old. And here we are all these years later and I still love and believe in the Lord. But that model, it doesn't feel right right now in 2022. It doesn't feel very good to say like, all right, we are all the normal people. We will uh, try to get you in a room in front of a professional Christian to tell you the truth. Um, and hopefully you will respond to that message. And if not, we can do it again in three months. Like that's very programmatic and it kind of sucks. But what's happening here is like God arranged this. So if, if like, you know, God appeared like right here in a flaming vision and was like, city beautiful, uh, bring everyone to a room and get Ryan to preach and I'll save the city. Like we would do it, obviously. But I just don't think that's coming. But Ryan's up for it if, if we do. Um, but what, what's going on here is they're very specific. Like, they hinge it on eyewitness stuff. Like, this is not a fairy tale. Luke and Peter mean this to be the account of history. So this is a 2,000-year-old document, sure. But it's also a really reliable one. Like, better than anything you're reading in classics. Like, there's, it's just a super strong... Uh, English translation of original Greek manuscripts, and they are banking on this being real. We are eyewitnesses. We saw this happen. Jesus died, and he rose again, and that resurrection is proof that he is who he says he is, the king and lord of all. And the, the kind of footnote here is that through him we have forgiveness of sins. Um, and, and I'm harping on this because, right, like we've got Cornelius, who seems like if anyone has it all together, it's this guy, but he still has enough gap in his knowledge of how to interact with God that God miraculously intervenes in two different people's lives to bring them together. And so I just think it's substantial, and I think it's really significant, and we need to understand the role that Jesus plays. Um, also, incidentally, this kind of answers our question. Like, we get this sometimes, sometimes it's rhetorical, but like, what about the good person who's never heard of the Lord? Um, People wave their arms when they ask rhetorical questions. Um, I don't know if you knew that. I have many fancy degrees. Um, well, the answer is, like, to the degree that people are seeking out God, he seems to meet them. There's other places in Scripture, but, like, he's not an unjust God. Like, he's not out there waiting to drop a piano on you, like Acme, like Looney Tunes stuff. He, the things Jesus tells us to do 
to participate in our own spirituality, ask, seek, knock. They're active verbs. God wants us to come after him. To the degree that we do, he will reveal himself. If you've never heard the name of Jesus, of course you can't use it. Um, But we have evidence here. God miraculously intervening to make sure someone knows what they need to know. Okay, great. We're good there. That's one piece. This message really matters. Um, oh, that was the other thing. So the one thing is uh, rock star in a room, everybody, like, it's, it's that person's, the professional's job, not our job as a community. False. Um, even though that's what happened here, it's not a model for how we need to do things in 2022. The other piece is that, like, propositional, hey, guys, you have to say these four things. If you get them wrong, they're lost forever. Um, if you add too much, lost forever. Like, really just practice these bullet points and you're fine. That's not it either. Like, that's not the point of what Luke recorded. Like, there are some, some real truths, some core stuff that you can't, like, pull away. But, again, the point is not to memorize the script here. Um, the point is to help someone take a step towards God. Um, to help them know the truth about who he is and, and the fullness of what it means to interact with and love with him. All right. Second question I have, all right, the first is like, why not just do the easy thing and use the magic angel to speak to Cornelius? They both have this interaction where God is saying, you go meet him, you go meet him, and we're going to do some cool stuff, fireworks. Peter gets the short end of the stick. Like, Cornelius gets a very clear go to do the thing. Like, I think all of us would be like, all right, we'll do it, like, if God appears as an angel. But Peter doesn't get that. He gets uh, the blanket full of, like, weird jerky. Um, And why is that? Why is Peter's uh, message so much more confusing? And I think the difference here is Cornelius just needs to be told something And Peter needs to be taught something before he is ready to obey the Lord. Um, When he gets to these people's place, when he gets to Cornelius' place, he says, you guys know it's actually against the law for me to come into your house and interact with you. Does anybody remember this? Any Old Testament scholars? Like, it's not, right? The, The closest thing we have here is don't intermarry with the Gentiles, which, like, Cornelius isn't asking you to marry him. He's doing fine. Um, the other piece is about these dietary laws, which, like, yeah, that's kind of challenging. Like, we've all got that friend who's like, oh, I can't eat it, whatever. Um, it's fine. We love you. We love accommodating you. We're a family. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's, it's that. Um, and, and there's reports from... from this community within the first century, like Romans writing, like historians basically being like, these Jews, like they're, they're so antisocial, they won't hang out at all, like uh, paraphrasing, but basically like they, they won't uh, be a part of our community. And, and you know how uh, there was laws built up around the laws to kind of insulate them. That was the whole like Pharisaic endeavor and the Sadducees where they were like, all right, if the law says this, we're going to bump it over one just to make super sure we don't sin. Um, and that's what's going on here. Um, this practice of interacting with the Gentiles was so taboo as to be considered illegal because there wasn't really an easy way to do it, and they were just super concerned with staying ritualistically clean, which is the price you had to pay, ultimately. Like, if you eat the wrong food or if you interact with the wrong person, you become ceremonially unclean. But it's not, like, actually in the Torah. It's, it's in that kind of, like, supplemental section. Um, And so what happened here is because of this othering, 
um, between Jews and Gentiles, and because they kept themselves so separate for so long, what happens when we don't hang out with people and we don't know them? We start to ascribe motivations. We start to make assumptions, and we get further and further and further apart until they are something entirely different from me, and I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want what's best for them. I just want to stay away. And that's what happened in Peter's heart. That's what happened in a lot of Jewish hearts in the first century. There's a ton of text in the New Testament about the reconciliation of the Jew and the Gentile. Um, But essentially, the reason Peter needed this super-duper triple message was because he had to be cured of his racism before he could take a step out the door and go talk to Cornelius, even though... Cornelius was a devout man, a God-fearing man, who was obeying the Lord to the best of his ability, the best he know how. Peter just did not have it in him. He could not cross that threshold until God intervened. So Cornelius needed to be told. Peter needed to be taught something. And he learned. He was able to see, but he still is a hot mess. Um, he gets there and like he does the thing and there's this, some people call like the Gentile Pentecost, right? We have the same thing. A message is preached, the Holy Spirit comes as kind of evidence for the, the believers that like, oh, this is real. Um, but a couple chapters later, we have Paul like reaming Peter out because they're still practicing this separation. They still don't get it. Uh, it's a deep-seated, pernicious and pervasive distrust of the other um, and God is trying to redeem it here, but it's not Peter who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. It's too deep-seated in him. It's Paul. But God certainly does send them out. And that thread is not new. Like, this wasn't the first time that they had considered that. God, uh, even starting all the way back with Abram, is you will be a light to the nations. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1 of Acts, which Ryan talked about a couple weeks ago. There's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. This is not a new concept, but because of the way things developed, there had just been this deep-seated and long-standing distrust. And I would say skepticism and maybe even dislike. So, here we are. The two big takeaways. One... God uses this miraculous intervention, but he ultimately puts the task in the hands of his human servant. He does not do an angelic proclamation of the gospel. He leaves that to a person, uh, in part at least, because the opportunity to like, reject the message, I think, is still there. It allows them the freedom uh, to hear and respond. If an angel's telling you something, you're going to do it because you think you're about to die because it's covered in eyes and fire and swords and whatever. Um, the other piece is that God is starting something new here. He's talked for a long time about folding in the Gentiles. And thankfully he did. I'm I'm sure almost all of us are Gentiles who have been adopted into God's family. Um, And that work starts with helping Peter to see that if God has made something clean, if God has said something is all right, then we, we are in no position to say otherwise. Okay. So we've got... This is what happened. This is what I think it means, at least partly, for us. Where do we go? Uh, I was in Chicago this week, uh, the Windy City. Unfortunately, it was the exact same weather as Orlando. I was pretty disappointed by that. 
Uh, I was there for work, and part of my work, I'm, I'm a, just a sleazy salesman, and so I have to like hang out, uh, hang out with people and like get them to like me, and then try to get them to buy things. And so part of that is like when the the event is done at the end of the day, and it's like cocktail hour or like go out hour. I still have to do all those things because like you're never done selling. So we went, um, me and a friend of mine, to this event. We got there at 9.15. It had actually ended at 9. And so we're standing on the street, and this group of people walks by, and they're already, like, not necessarily in a place to, like, process information um, <laughs> or drive. <laughs> um, and they're like, woo, we're going to this place. You guys should come. And I turn to my friend, and he's like, absolutely not. Um, I will not go. And I'm like, uh, I feel like I need to go. So I'm just like glom on to this group of people, I don't know any of them, and I start walking down the street. Um, and just spoiler alert, this isn't gonna be like a Kristen story where like, and then I'm at the bar and I'm baptizing people with soda water. Like, um, <laughs> that's not what happened. Uh, it's, it's way more subtle, so I don't want you to get like excited. Um, it's just, this, this happened and I feel like it's real. Um, so anyways, we walked this place, we talk and we go to another place and we're, we're kind of like closing down the night. And I overhear this guy being like, well, like, um, you know, the Bible's ridiculous because in the, in the opening chapters, they ask you to, to believe that Cain and Abel uh, had sex with their mom. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, um, and, and like he, his point was like, well, you, you know, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and then there's more people, but I don't see any like other people running around. So like who, where do they come from? Birds and the bees, bada bing. Um, and I'm just like, I don't know. So we start having this conversation. There's another woman there who's Catholic. And by the end of the conversation, like, this guy was, like, ultra aggressive. Like, I've thought all this out, and I have all these, like, atheist, like, punching points. Um, and, and by the end of the conversation, he was like, wow. Like, no one's ever talked to me like this. Um, no one's ever tried to listen or, or been thoughtful. Um, and I don't know who he's been talking to. Like, I guess jerk, Christians, or no one. Maybe he's just had a lot of conversation in his head and, like, thought of these cool points, and now he's testing them out. Um, but the other, the woman who was there is like, I wish that I had had a conversation like this with a priest uh, at some point in my life, and I never have. Um, and so, like, I don't know what's going to happen there um, with these two people. Like, I, I wish I'd been like, yeah, let's get safe right now, but I don't think they were in a position, to, I mean, you know, whatever. The Lord could have, like, vacuumed all the alcohol out of their bloodstream, and they could have made a coherent decision, but he didn't do that. I didn't ask him to. Maybe that's on me. Um, <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, I'll try next time just for you, Kristen, so I can have, like, one of those stories. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Like, I'm going to follow up with these people. Um, the point here is not, like, oh, Steve, because, um, I like, I didn't really get anywhere with them, but the point is God is using us. And, and the point is Cornelius, who was so close to God, still needed someone to tell him about Jesus. Jesus uses all this imagery of tilling the soil, planting seeds, harvesting, asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Paul talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, that people who, can't, who haven't heard cannot understand the message. And I just want to say for the personal application bit, figure out how to talk about your faith in a way that feels authentic and that is real and invitational, and then do that intentionally with people in your lives. 
We are not trying to get people to come over to our team. We are not promising them that life is going to be super easy. We are not trying to manipulate them into some sort of decision. All we're doing is saying, there's a God out there who created you, who loves you. My core belief is that at, at the base level of all of us, that love for God is real. And maybe it's covered up by a bunch of junk in society, a bunch of decisions that we've made. But people need to know. It is clear that God thinks the, the specific message about Jesus matters enough that he is willing to orchestrate these crazy arrangements. There are crazy arrangements in your life today that you could be Peter in this situation. Maybe not. Maybe you're like a third of Peter or like a tenth or whatever, and like you just go a little bit of the way. But please be bold, and please think intentionally and pray intentionally for the people in your lives and the strangers in your lives. Like that thing I referenced earlier, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 4, you should go read it. He just hears a guy reading the Bible in a chariot, which like, Probably not a ton of modern overlap, but he runs up beside him and uses Isaiah 58 to explain the whole message of Jesus, and the guy's like, I get it, and he gets baptized right there. Like, God is insanely in love with people, but he chose to use us, so let's do it. Let's invite people. The reason I was in Chicago was for this conference, DIA. The Drug Information Association, that is right. I work in the least trusted field in the entire world, pharmaceutical development. That might alone disqualify me from being up here, um, but nonetheless, I persist. I was giving a talk at a panel entitled, God Bless Our Industry, Novel Digital Mechanisms for Increasing Diversity in Clinical Trial Participation. Uh, who cares? <laughs> Basically, I, in clinical development, we have to find people to take the drugs before we approve the drugs and give them to everybody else because if they're super bad, we need to know that on a small scale before it goes to a big scale. Uh, historically, there's been a problem. Most clinical trial participants are white, 85% of them. That's a scientific problem in part because people respond differently to different drugs. I don't know if you knew this, um, but like there's drugs that affect Asian people totally different than they affect people of European ancestry. So that's part of it. The other problem is a justice issue. Um, if you're like a non-hand raiser, just like get over it for this. I just want to know how many people, if I say the Tuskegee trials, you know what I'm talking about, Tuskegee trials. That is most, but not all, okay. Um, so in short, basically, in the 30s, there was a group of people like, what, would ha what happens if they don't treat syphilis? And they were like, I know what we should do. Let's find 400 black sharecroppers who have syphilis, and let's just watch what happens and not treat them. So they invited them into the study under the guise of, you will receive free medical care. Uh, spoiler alert and hidden agenda, the free medical care will not include treatment for the syphilis that we know you have. Um, this trial lasted for 40 years into the 1970s. Um, most of the men died of syphilis or complications from syphilis. 
40 women got syphilis because they were married to these men. 19 children were born with congenital syphilis, which is something that should just have been eradicated. Um, when these men went to sign up for World War II and they were screened for syphilis, the study called the military and said, I know you're going to find some guys with syphilis and the standard of care is to give them penicillin. Please don't. We've got a study going on. We want to see what happens. It's easily the most egregious, inhumane, and unethical research study that's ever been carried out. And when it came to light in the early 70s, um, there was a massive backlash. It basically created the entire industry that I'm in, which is clinical development, and there's huge regulatory and ethical concerns now. The reason I bring this up is because it created mistrust, created mistrust between the black community, well, there was already mistrust, and the medical community, and it's just kind of gone like that since then. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because we don't have a Jew-Gentile problem necessarily. Race is still an issue in this country, though. Um, we are super good at waiting for someone to get murdered and then, like, posting a bunch, but we're not super good in between the news cycles at continuing to care. This was such a big issue for God that he went out of his way to miraculously intervene with Peter so that he could start the work of reconciliation. And, I'm, you know... Like, every time we talk about this in the church, we collectively, or City Beautiful, it's like, why are you making this about race? Like, I'm not making anything about race. Like, there's a real problem. There's disparate outcomes. Like, if you are born with a certain skin color in this country, there's just so many outcomes that are worse for you than if you're born with white skin in this country. Ryan, a couple weeks ago, said privilege is not a moral term. It's just a reality. There's a divergent path. And again, like, this is in total. This is not to say there aren't white people in poverty or there aren't black people doing well. This is to say we live in a racialized country. That's real. That's factual. The church has contributed to this in a lot of ways. You, you don't have to look back very far to find people using Bible verses to justify hatred, slavery, discontent. And I don't think that's the people in this room. That's not the point. The point is... Most of us in the, this room, it's easy to not care. Like, it can fall off the radar screen. And that's not justice. That's not what God has called us to do. That's not reconciliation. That's not for the sake of the world. That's not the river of renewal flowing from the throne of God. It's just simply not. Um, I don't have a particular application. Band, you guys can come back up. I, I just, two things to think about this week. One, who's in your life? that you could talk to Jesus about. It doesn't have to be constant. You're not trying to like be annoying to them, but do they know? Do they know? Have you bought the Francis of Assisi thing? Like preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. The words are necessary. They don't know the name of Jesus. Use the words. Tell them about him. The second piece is just, you know, I don't know where you are on this journey of we'll call racial awareness and everything's politicized and everything sucks but like at the end of the day it's a reality in our country God cares about it he does there's there's plenty of theology of race um, it matters in the throne room in the kingdom of heaven John looks around and he can see people of every tribe how does he know because he's aware of the differences it's not a terrible thing it's a great thing 
we can't let the news cycle dictate our concern around this. We have to be concerned all the time. And that doesn't mean the same thing for every person, but it does mean looking in the mirror, asking, like, have I allowed this to slip off my plate or not care about it because that's possible for me? And if it's, if it's not possible for someone else, can I pick that thing back up and put it on my plate? Somehow, some way. I don't know. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be done with the talking. That just feels terrifyingly unstable. Not unlike myself. All right. Lord. Lord God. You are good. You are powerful. We worship your name. We want you to speak to us. We want to feel your presence, all those things. But more than that, God, we want healing for the world, healing for the broken. We know you have a preference for the people who have been marginalized and left out. You, the one of ultimate power, forsook all your power so that you could reach us, save us. And now you have, you have invited us into the work of proclaiming your kingdom, and I pray that you would just teach us how to do it well, that you would keep our hearts soft. Don't let us become calloused by this world, which is, frankly, a horror show most days. There's also beauty, there's healing, there's compassion. God, call us to those things. Help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom. We love you, God. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.